Last November, a highly anticipated meeting between Chinese leader Xi Jinping and U.S. President Joe Biden concluded with both expressing an openness to restore communication and repair the relationship. The world expects that China and the U.S. will properly handle their relationship, President Xi said in the talks. But what is the way forward for this bilateral relationship? For answers, I turn to an expert on China-U.S. affairs, Victor Gao. Victor served as an interpreter for Dong Xiaoping from 1983 to 1988. The reforms carried out by Dong gradually opened China up for foreign investments and turned the country into the world's fastest-growing economies. is currently vice president of the Beijing-based Center for China and Globalization and chair professor at Suzhou University. Here's my conversation with Victor Gao. Full frame. Let's talk about uh, Bali because it was very significant. Uh, president Biden sitting down with President Xi Jinping. What do you think of that meeting what does it say about the trajectory of this relationship, and what do you think was accomplished? I think history will judge the summit meeting in Bali between President Biden of the United States and Chinese President Xi Jinping as the first one-on-one -on -one meeting between the top leaders of China and the United States on an equal footing, and both recognize the need to deal with the other side as an equal, rather than, for example, imagining one as a superior to the other or one in a position to hold the other down without consequences. Now, whether this has been fully reflected in all aspects of bilateral relations between China and the United States, that's another thing. It probably will take quite some time, at least quite a few years, before everything will settle in. However, uh, in Bali, it is very encouraging to see that President Biden and President Xi Jinping really dwelt with each other as an equal and both fully cognizant of the fact that they cannot achieve much important things without getting the assistance or the cooperation from the other side. Now, I, th I think this will be a good beginning for China-U.S. relations in the longer term, even though there are still many obstacles to overcome. And uh, both sides really need to do the right thing to promote understanding cooperation between the two countries rather than, for example, being agitating for rivalry, competition, or even confrontation, or even a showdown, because that will be a dead end for both China and the United States. And I don't think the world will be a better place if China and the United States go into a dead end. You mentioned uh, one word, uh, history, and you mentioned two words, good beginning. And uh, you're one of the few people I can talk to who actually knows what it's like to, to witness history, to sit in on one of these you know, heart-to-heart -heart discussions and actually play a role in it as a conduit, uh, as you did with Dong Xiaoping. Talk to me about what it's like to be in that setting, to be sitting there, knowing that at some point, you're, what's happening here is going to end up in the history books. What's the pressure like on somebody like you? Uh, what's the pressure like on the leaders themselves as they have the discussion? What's that back and forth like? I mean, take us into the room. What's that like? 
Allow me to use the example of Iran-Iraq war in the 1980s as an example. Uh, in the 1980s, there was this eight-year war between Iran and Iraq. The United States at that time was fully supporting Iraq against Iran. Uh, therefore, in the 1980s, whenever major U.S. government leaders or senators, uh, members of the Congress, you name it, went to visit China, and if they were senior enough, they get to meet with Deng Xiaoping. And I sat in many of these meetings, and I remember most of these American uh, VIPs would urge China to support Iraq against Iran. At that time, China had uh, balanced uh, good relations with both Iraq on the one hand and Iran on the other hand. So Deng Xiaoping, out of his great wisdom, as he consistently demonstrated across the years, uh, said that China has to follow an equal distance diplomacy with both Iran and Iraq, meaning China cannot choose to support Iraq against Iran. That would be a wrong policy for China. Now, the American visitors would try their best to urge Deng Xiaoping to change course to uh, support Iraq against Iran. I remember for the rest of my life, Deng Xiaoping said, no, China need to keep a rear hand or keep a hand in the rear, meaning we do not fully understand Iran or Iraq, and we do not know why they are fighting a war against each other. And it's absolutely a bad policy to support one versus the other. We need to maintain good relations with both Iran and Iraq. At that time, both Iran and Iraq asked China to supply weapons, conventional weapons. Eventually, China's policy was to supply more or less an equal amount of weapon with similar level of uh, lethal effects to both Iran and Iraq. Now, what happened later really demonstrated that Deng Xiaoping had the better judgment because in just a few years, the United States was having a war against Iraq. Not only, only one war, it was the first Iraq war and following with the second Iraq war in 2003. And I thought that if Washington had sufficient amount of wisdom as Deng Xiaoping did, then they would probably come to a different conclusion in facing the war between Iran and Iraq. And uh, uh, not only the war of Iran-Iraq, but also the first Iraqi war, the second Iraqi war, have left so much of an aftermath that mankind is still not completely out of the consequences of all those wars. And if we apply the same level of wisdom, you can see why in the world of today, China refuses to support either Russia against Ukraine or Ukraine against Russia. China is urging both Russia and the Ukraine to stop the war and to adopt or resort to diplomacy and uh, negotiations because China believes that's the only way out, philosophically speaking, historically speaking. You really cannot solve whatever problems there are between Russia and Ukraine by war. You have to resort to peace. I think, again, this is a continuation of the wisdom as demonstrated by Deng Xiaoping in the 1980s in dealing with the Iran-Iraq war, and China will be 
demonstrated or proven by history again to be on the right side of history. We can't talk about uh, the economy without talking about tariffs, which are still a, a major problem for both countries. Um, do you see any movement there? I think the tariffs, the tariff war, if I may use that word, between China and the United States is really something beyond my comprehension. Uh, first of all, I would say the uh, U.S. government at least need to tell the American people in decency that the tariffs are not paid by China. The tariffs is not paid by the Chinese government. The tariffs is not paid by the Chinese exporters, many of whom actually are American manufacturers in China. The tariffs paid to the U.S. government are paid by the American consumers. So in a sense, the tariffs is a kind of tax on the American consumers. In that sense, I would say Washington at least need to have the decency to tell the American people Sorry, I'm leveling uh, another tax on you. I call it tariff. It's actually a tax. Uh, you are ultimately responsible for the tariff, for the tariffs I connect, uh, I collect uh, on the amount of uh, goods exported by China to the United States. Now, secondly, I would say the whole paradigm of tariff war between China and the United States is completely misplaced. It's wrong. Why? Uh, it is true that China-U.S. trade is very much unbalanced. China exports to the United States much more than U.S. exports to China. But you also need to consider two things. One is that among the Chinese exports to the United States, roughly about one-third is exported by U.S. companies having operations in China. Now, secondly, in terms of the service trade between China and the United States, China has a huge deficit and the U.S. has a huge uh, surplus. So if you balance all these factors together, the China-U.S. trade, both in goods as well as in services, and if you're also uh, thinking about the contribution of the U.S. companies operating in China, exporting back to the United States, then the whole overall situation is less undesirable as what it looks on the surface. So my proposal is that China and the United States should aim to further boost the overall size of the bilateral trade in goods between the two countries to, let's say, one trillion US dollars. And the additional amount need to be contributed more by US exports to China. Rather than, for example, let's do the uh, deductions, let's uh, try to bring the whole trade volume down we need to bring the whole trade volume up and the additional amount need to be really made by the U.S. Uh, exporters. Now, the size of the Chinese market is really not to be underestimated. It can actually accommodate many goods from the United States. So I do hope the U.S. exporters or manufacturers or agricultural uh, business owners of all kinds can really do a thorough home search to see whatever they can find, good quality, affordable, and then uh, try to sell them to China. The door should be open. And I think Washington and Beijing should really cooperate to make sure that the bilateral trade is not reduced, is further increased. And the additional amount to be added to the existing amount of China-US trade should be really 
to the creativity and hard work of the American exporters. Let me ask you one final question, which deals uh, with vision, I think, uh, of these two countries. Uh, China has for many years been kind of a manufacturing hub, but now has this forward-thinking vision. You know, when you, when you go to China, you hear people talk about 5G, you hear them talk about AI, you hear them talk about self-driving cars, smart cities, all of these things that are really kind of futuristic. Um, and I think there's, there's this fear in the United States that, man, China may get there before we do, and the future is the future. That's, that's where everything's at. And that's created attention as well. Can you talk about the transition we're seeing in China and how that plays into the friction between the United States and China and how do you resolve that moving forward? First of all, China is indeed a major engine for the new technologies. Uh, there is no deny about that. I would say there are more and more uh, uh, new companies coming up out of a very big pipeline and it should not be surprising. Why? Because first of all, the overall size of the Chinese economy is increasing very rapidly. There is a huge amount of pile of money in China ready to make investments in venture, in uh, private equity of all kinds. And then you have a country with 1.4 billion people, more or less one language, one legal system, and a huge pool of engineering uh, talents. Every year, China graduated would be uh, approximately about uh, 18, uh, sorry, 12 million college graduates. 10 million, 11 million, or even up to 12 million. And about a quarter of them have engineering degrees. <laughs> engineering degrees. So you are talking about an accumulation, let's say, of 40 years, huge amount, ever-expanding pool of engineering talents in China, and everyone is willing to put his talents to uh, something worthwhile, sometimes risky endeavors, etc. And then the government is stable, and the government really supports creativity of all kinds. So you are talking about a very, very dynamic whole landmass full of talents not with poverty, but with a huge amount of pile of money doing all experiments, uh, etc. So I don't think any kind of uh, embargoes or sanctions will really kill the Chinese uh, creativity. Well, Victor, it's always a pleasure. Thank you for having me. That was my conversation with Chinese lawyer and analyst Victor Gao. That's all for this Full Frame podcast. Our thanks to my colleagues, Umberto Duran, Ted Basturk, Jolie Lee, and Brittany Hawker here at our CGTN studios. And if you want to watch the full-length Full Frame show, please go to CGTN Now on Apple TV. I'm Mike Walter. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you.